Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, a Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg. I'm Jenna Poff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company, and this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insights into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 95 of Theater Forward. Oh, good to be here. For this episode, it is that time of year again. We're going to talk about the process of selecting the plays for our upcoming 2023-2024 season. And we hope that this conversation provides some context for the decisions being made by companies all over the country, as we are definitely hitting peak announcement season in American theater. So uh, that's our plan for this conversation, friends. And we were, we were thinking that it might be um, uh, productive to talk about our season kind of in the order in which we locked in the plays. And just for some, some context, we do a four-show main stage season. We also have some new work festivals. We're not going to um, talk about those so much today. But we do four shows. We are specifically drawing from the best of contemporary theater. We don't do classics. Um, uh, but we're, we're really, we beat the bushes for exciting things happening and uh, our seasons tend to, we'll, we'll sort of find one thing and ooh, we go get the rights and we, we know we lock that in. And then maybe we find a second and then we start really um, crafting to, to achieve a good sense of balance. So Julie, I thought maybe you could start us off talking about the play that we locked in quite a long time ago uh, to be uh, what will be in the second slot of our season, November of this year. Yeah, we grabbed this one really quickly. It is Clyde's by Pulitzer Prize winning uh, playwright Lynn Nottage. It was and is the most produced play in America. And we wanted to uh, be the Wisconsin um, premiere of the show. Uh, takes place in a truck stop diner, um, formerly incarcerated people uh, being sort of tormented by the uh, uh, main character, Clyde. Um, and what interests me, and I know our perspectives are so different here, and that's the fun of this podcast, but the fact that we're going to have a working diner where people get to make sandwiches on a regular basis, we're so lucky to have Metcalf's, which is a um, local grocery store here in Madison, is going to be providing all of those um, sandwich fixings, but the idea that you can you'll know, be able to smell the the, the panini uh, being made, and um, you know, and and our cast will need to learn how to chop. Mm -hmm. uh, it will be a a particular rehearsal period. Uh, really interests me. It is um, an incredible show about um, people surviving in this world when a lot of things are when life is against them and the hopefulness uh, of that. And uh, so excited to be doing this show along with many, many other people in the country. I mean, it was so clear when all I knew about this script was uh, a two sentence description when it was being developed, I believe at the Guthrie um, in 2019, I think 2018, 2019, back when it was called Floyd's. Uh, but I, you know, all we knew about it was it was by Lynn Nottage, you know, one of the most brilliant playwrights in America whose work we have 
sadly not yet been able to do uh, at our theater, um, that it was a comedy, uh, that it had food being prepared on stage, and that it also had this underlying really big, important context of looking at um, what life is like in our communities for the population of the formerly incarcerated. And so it was like all the boxes being checked of what seems like a great forward theater show. Um, and we started trying to get our hands on a script way back when it was still being workshopped at the Guthrie. Um, but then it's gone down this lovely pathway of um, uh, being, being developed and then uh, coming to Broadway, having this you know, successful run there, um, and then starting to be licensed out to, to Lort theaters around the country. And so we're, it, it's so exciting that, that we were now able to get, get our hands on a license to do it for our audience. And I'm so excited for the entertaining aspects of it. Like you said, Julie, this is, um, this is an engaging thing to watch on a stage. Um, but then to be able to have that broaden out into conversations outside the theater about our community and, and, yeah, I get off on that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, and it and it feeds into exactly what we want to do, which is theater that also talks to the community. And and there are so many ways that we're going to be um, uh, outreaching to to different organizations and working with different organizations around this play. And that's exciting as well. But it's also very much about theater. I mean, one of the themes I love in this play, which I mean, I don't want to lose sight by getting all heady here in a second about how damn funny this play is, which is it is. Jen's right. It's super entertaining. But it is about why we make art and what kind of art we're going to make. I mean, these aren't just normal panini sandwiches, folks. You are going to be if you don't <laughs> leave the theater hungry after watching this play. There is something seriously wrong with you. I mean, it's just going to lay it out there like like that. And it, in terms of do these formerly incarcerated folks, do people who are marginalized in our society get a right to talk about and say what art is and make it? And how do we respond to that? And what is the relationship between that kind of populist, popular art and the art that the rest of us are making in our sort of highfalutin equity theaters? That is a huge, important way in which what Julie's talking about in terms of the discussion between theater and a community is happening in this play. And it's it's just it's Lynn Nottage to a T, right? Who's always sort of thinking about this is the this is the person who took her place sweat, you know, to the factory town of Reading, which is where it was set, and then used that to launch a tour of the whole country and of working class communities um, in which that play could be performed as a way of trying to sort of bridge that gap between high art and 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 everyday life. So it's it's just gonna be cool on so many levels. Yeah. I, so, so that was the first one. We locked that in as soon as we could. We've known it's been coming <laughs> yep. for a little while. Um, so yay. So we knew we had November set and then, uh, boy, we swirled around so many different titles as we, uh, you know, tried to see what, you know, what Lego bricks would fit together, what patchwork blocks looked good next to each other. I don't <laughs> what know what the metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> many different metaphors. Um, the set, but the, the second title to drop in, Mike, why don't you talk about that one? And that's going to be in our third slot, our sort of January, February slot uh, of next season. Well, this is an adaptation by Brit playmaking genius Emma Rice uh, of, of a book called The Flying Lovers of the Tepsk. And it is just uh, talk about swirling, Jen. This is a beautiful uh, it's the love story of Mark and Bella Chagall 
Um, but that's it's presented in a way which just breaks every darn barrier in terms of what theater is supposed to be. It's a dance piece. It's a music piece. It's such a movement piece. Um, and it's using those those ways of thinking about how we present theater to talk about you know, expanding our idea of what love can be. It is a play that will make you feel so good coming in the middle of winter. It'll make you feel so good and so warm. Um, and it is not just sort of beautiful, um, but it is it is stylistically innovative in the in the ways that you know some of the best theater being made right now is. Emma Rice, you, you we've talked about her before. She did the Wuthering Heights, which is touring the country right now to raves. Um, an adaptation of that that played at Chicago Shakespeare last year. She had a number of things online during the pandemic. She used to be the director of Shakespeare's Globe. She was way too innovative for them. Um, like Mark, she has with Mark Rylance, the distinction of being somebody that was kind of booted out because she wanted to do more than they wanted her to do. Um, she is going to really make this uh, this production pop, as will our actual production, which is going to feature uh, as Mark and Bella Chagall, Marcus Trzynski, uh and uh, and Emily Glick, who are two of Wisconsin's rightly beloved performers who are perfect for these two parts. I just can't wait to see what this is going to look like on our stage. And I will toss in uh, uh, just mentioning that. So Emma Rice is the director who sort of collaborated to, to bring this, the original production, but Daniel Jamieson is the, the, well, the, play, yeah. the playwright. Want to make sure to get his name in there. Not that I'm, you know, have any problem with leading with the directors personally uh, <laughs> uh, as one. Um, but yeah, they created something so special that is the sort of conceptual piece as well as um, this lovely and, and sort of spare and lyrical poetic script. Um, but it is a piece that I think will be as much about the visual as the spoken uh, with music and dance and all of that. I, I haven't, there's a lot of singing in this. Mm -hmm. So could it be considered uh, a quasi musical, maybe our second, maybe not quite, but there is a lot of music in here and it is a visual feast. Yeah. Uh, I, that's, that's the exciting part for me. Um, yeah. And this one has, uh, I mean, it, it, it debuted in, in England. Well, actually I think there might've been a workshop uh, somewhere on the West Coast, but um, it had, has had almost uh, no um, life yet in the United States. I hope that right. that is something we'll see change. And Mike, this came to my attention thanks to you during during the first year of lockdown when you were doing those wonderful Mike's Picks newsletters for Forward, where you were kind of scanning what was going to be available in terms of streaming theater from around the world and making recommendations. And um, the, the the beautiful... Uh, production that Emma Rice directed had been filmed and and was streamed uh, in the first you know half or so of 2020, and uh, yeah, I got a digital ticket for it on your recommendation, and I just thought it was so gorgeous and um, yeah, it's it's a little bit different for us, but not totally out of the the range of what we do. Right. I'm excited mm -hmm. to to push push those boundaries in some some fun ways. Great. So then we had that show selected and great. The middle of the season slots two and three were set and we were really um, working hard to figure out what the other two were. Um, and there were a lot of factors that um, that we were working with. I mean, one was uh, stylistic balance, making sure do we have uh, humor, heart, uh, drama, um, uh, all of those different um aspects of, of that you can find when you go to the theater emotionally for an audience. You know, do we have a nice balance of um, 
uh, different kinds of visual styles, uh, balance in terms of the kinds of characters and stories being told on stage. We're also, I mean, let's be real, looking at finances, it's, you know, things are very, very, very expensive these days compared to the way they were a few years ago. Costs are through the roof. You know, audience numbers are are rebuilding nicely, at least for us this season. We're seeing, you know, strong and growing single ticket sales, but we're starting with a um, a deficit on our subscription numbers, like most companies. Um, so we are rebuilding there. Government money is basically totally gone. Um, so making sure that we pick shows that would give a sumptuous and and filling experience to our audience, but Clyde's is a very expensive show. Right. Um, Flying Lovers has its, you know, we've got onstage musicians. It's a very visual show. So neither one of those is inexpensive, right? So we knew we weren't looking at, you know, finding a seven person play, a 10 person play for those other slots. So that was part of it. Um, also, just really keeping in mind as we moved closer and closer to locking our season we were getting further and further into the current season and really learning from our audience, you know, what they were responding to, what they were um, needing in, in this time and, and recognizing that people are, you know, we have, we are so blessed to have this curious and questioning and um, uh, expansive open audience that we have here in Madison. Like they, we get to do a lot of fun, weird plays. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, people have been through a lot and it's been really clear, like they don't want to see a season full of um, plays that are incredibly hard, emotionally hard, complex. Yes. Um, challenge you to think. Yes. Don't all have to be, you know, rip roaring comedies. Yes. But but that we um, we don't want to be putting them through an emotional ringer right now. Everyone feels like they've been through one nonstop for the last few years. So, so all of those um, factors in mind. So, so that really, we were kind of looking and looking and what, what can we um, slot in around these other two plays that kind of tick, tick those boxes. And the next thing that, that locked in for us, it, I actually, it's a little embarrassing to me that it, I hadn't um settled on this earlier than we did. And that is the play that's going to close our season next spring, What the Constitution Means to Me by Heidi Schreck. And the reason I'm embarrassed that we didn't have it earlier in our planning is that before it even went to Broadway in 2019, we had read that script and said, oh gosh, this would be perfect for forward. We would love to do this. I actually saw it in New York because the sort of lingering question at that point um, in 2019 was, does this play work if it's not the playwright starring in it herself? And I went, I was in New York, I saw it, and I remember, you know, texting you, Julian, going, yep. you put someone like Colleen Madden in this role and we are good to go. So we went after the rights very um, uh, diligently, but then they wound up doing a national tour. They planned right. a national tour and the rights weren't available. And actually, the national tour was scheduled to come through Madison to the Overture Center for the Arts, where we perform. They very rarely schedule tours of, of non-musical plays. But there you go. It's coming here. And we kind of just took it off our, our list because, great, our audience had a chance to see it. Um, but the, we had, I had a sudden moment of realization. Wait a second. It did come here for two performances. And they were in the peak of one of the COVID surges. And actually very few people went to see it while it was here. And so there's this moment of going, wait a minute, we should 
absolutely do this. Um, it's the rare play that's not at least a Wisconsin premiere for us, but my gosh, our audience deserves to see this play. They deserve to see it with Colleen. With the political events in our country over the last year or so, it is more urgent than ever. Um, uh, and I'm just so excited to tell it. It's, it's, it's really a three-person play as much as it's got this sort of vibe of being a one-hander, but there are two other performers who will be in it. Um, but I just, I, in, in the spring of a presidential election year, dealing with what it deals with, but knowing that it deals with these big issues about um, the legal protections or lack thereof in our country for women, for marginalized people, um, for those who have the capacity to get pregnant, for those who are vulnerable to sexual violence, all of that, it, it wrestles with those incredibly weighty and sometimes rage-filled issues. And it does it with so much heart and, again, so much humor. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it's, yeah. it's one of the few shows, I mean, we, we knew we wanted to do it. And I remember you, Jen, it was like a lightning bulb went off. You know, I could, it, it illuminated the office when you went, <laughs> hold on, you know what? Um, constitu what the constitution means to me. And we all went, yes, 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 yes. Um, you don't need, um, it, it stands on its own. It's a beautiful play. Um, but for us to have Colleen Madden in that role, it just made such sense. And we don't usually have, we don't pick a play that, you know, must have this actor. And that's not what happened. But boy, we grabbed her as quickly as we thought that this that this piece would be a good idea for forward. And for all that you said in terms of when it's when it's placed which is a real consideration when you put a season together that that play needed to be done in April of 2024. Um, and then uh, with Colleen is especially exciting. Yeah. I've got to say, I'm, I was a little, I guess I shared Jen's skepticism. Maybe was even a bit more skeptical, even after seeing it in New York, that anybody besides Heidi Shrek could do this play um, until uh, until I thought about Colleen Madden, right? I mean, it's just, um, and uh, whatever, I've probably spilled more ink on her than just about any actor in Wisconsin during the years when I when I covered Wisconsin theater. She is tremendous. She's also in a way, which is not taking away at all from the other also very, very great actors that we have in this state. There's something about her person who, which, which, which just feeds into this role, the combination of just, you know, almost barely in control at some moments, that the rage that Jen is talking about that is in this script, but incredible heart and warmth uh, as well. And you need all of those to capture this character. I mean, in some ways, even though Colleen will only be playing one person, She's playing as many different characters as she played in Syringatry, which remains for <laughs> most of us one of her true tour de forces uh, in, in yeah. her distinguished Wisconsin theater career. Because there are so many sides to the Heidi Shrek that needs to be embodied through through this role. I can't wait to see what she does with that. Yeah. So it was it, it's it's wild to me that for this upcoming season, the last play that we settled on is the one that's going to open the season. It took it, it just uh, the way things wanted to flow, it was clear that those other three scripts, the ones we sort of identified first, belonged in the slots in which they are, are being programmed. 
um, and figuring out what we could open the season with. And it was a fairly late arrival um, uh, of a script that that is pretty new, has had now a couple productions, and I think we'll we'll get done quite a bit over the next few years. But uh, I had uh, one of a member of our advisory company sent me a script um, that they knew a friend was working on in the Chicago area called The Garbologists by Lindsay Joal. And I, you know, remembered uh, in the season announcement, you know, this time a year ago, reading the little one liner about it going, oh, huh, that sounds interesting. And then it kind of fell off my radar, radar as things sometimes do. Um, but we got our hands on that script. And as soon as I read it, for me, at least, it just felt like it dropped in, like, you know, whatever our analogy is of building the season, <laughs> the quilts, the Legos, what have you. It felt like, great, we've got three quarters of it. And now there's a very specific sized space that needs to be filled. And the minute I read this play, I thought, well, gosh, here's the script that actually fits perfectly. We don't have to wedge it in. Um, two-hander although one with really dynamic uh, production design uh, possibilities. So I, I think it will feel like a, a large and expansive production. Um, and the fact that it has only two actors in the cast in a way allows us to free up the budget that's needed to pay for the, the production needs of it. Um, but about two characters uh, who, you know, sort of a buddy comedy in a way, um, get to know each other while working um, as a team in a garbage truck as New York City sanitation department employees. And, you know, one character is a white guy from Staten Island who's been doing this job for a long time, seasoned employee. And the other is um, a black woman, Ivy League educated, who begins, we see her our first day on the job. And in a way, part of the place is sort of what is the mystery of, of, of why, why is this person from this background taking this job? Because it, it seems, um, surprising when you first meet her. Um, I love that it's funny. I love that it gives us some great things to look at. I love there's a, there's um, some real uh, grief and emotional um, growth that, that plays out in the plot. But I also think there's something when I read it that feels more than really any of the other plays in our season to be meeting our audience where they are right now in that we are so in our own worlds in this country right now. And certainly in our community, we see that as well. People are so polarized. We talk to and listen to the people who are like us. Um, and there are some very real reasons for that. Um, uh, you know, I'm certainly not a uh, let's kumbaya, I'll come together regardless of everybody's beliefs. But there is something intrinsically about a democracy and a society that requires us to be open to the prospect of building relationships with people who are very much not like us. And that is what happens in this play. And there's almost um, a wish fulfillment aspect of it that, that I find in this story that I think is comforting without being, it's not pablum, it's not a fairy tale. But I do think that there is something beautiful in this story about two very different people who think that they have nothing in common and nothing to be gained or learned from each other, who over the course of the story learn from and build a relationship with each other. And I think that that is um, right now so rare and a thing of beauty. And I think people, 
I'm hoping people will really respond to that aspect of this and be excited by it. Plus, you know, in our season where so many of these plays are going to really tantalize the senses, just visually and in terms of the soundscape, you know, there's a garbage truck on stage and lots of bags <laughs> being tossed into the hopper. And I just think that's going to right. be fun. While you have this wonderful relationship, they're picking up garbage bags and throwing them in the back of a truck. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, you know, it's, I mean, Jen, what you described is exactly when I saw it at Northlight. I mean, that was exactly the way the audience around me was responding to the play um, with that kind of, wow, you know, this is, it, you just walked out of there feel, feeling better. It also bookends nicely to your point about conversations. It bookends really nicely with our last play. Yeah. Both of those plays are about, about learning how to talk about difficult things um, with people who aren't the same as you are. And, mm-hmm. and we'll see that in Constitution as well. And really, I mean, what, what does the Constitution mean to any of us? It means that being able to live in a society where conversations like those that take place in our first play of the season will hopefully happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, amen to amen to that in terms of what this play will hopefully do for us. Yeah. So that's our season. And, <laughs> and can I say that is our 15th season? Yeah. This is our... One five. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So so that's what people will have to look forward to here. The Garbologists, then Clyde's, then the Flying Lovers of Vitebsk, then what the Constitution means to me. Um, all very different, um, but I think all very much uh, the kinds of stories that our audience here uh, expects from us. And it's really, I, I mean, this is one of my favorite times of year, not just because we're announcing our season, but because I get so excited looking at the season announcements from theaters around the country, um, both lo- to look for trends, you know, oh, look at that play. Look how many people are doing that play. Ooh, are the rights available for that play now? We should look at that for the next year. Things like that are, oh, here's a theater I really respect. And they do a lot of the same kinds of plays we do. They're premiering something. We should look out for that script uh, once it's, uh, you know, been mounted so that we can see if that's something that might fit us well. Like it's it's just such a percolating time uh, for the field. And and I, I love playing our small part in it, um, seeing what everyone else is doing. And I really look forward to this conversation every year where we can sort of share some of the how the sausage gets made <laughs> on our end. Right. Well, what I'm looking forward to when we have this conversation about sausage being made and what seasons, what people are picking, when I look forward to this next year when people will be talking about what we were discussing or what was being discussed in our last podcast, i.e. Artemisia, as we see the, you know, th- this, this being a play that's being done everywhere in the United States. <laughs> it is a great play. Um, and this, uh, as this podcast drops, there will be a little bit of time left to come to come see it. We'll be moving toward the cl- uh, close. So if you haven't seen Artemisia yet and you want to see a play that's going to be hot in the future, come see it. <laughs> okay, well, gold star, my Christian. Yeah. For yes, right, right. That up good good commercial. Thank so you. <laughs> appreciate it. I think we will use that to say that this is all for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in, the, in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and in America. I'm Jenna Hoff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced, as always, by Scott Hayden. And you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook uh, and Twitter uh, at Theater Forward. As always, theater spelled with an E-R. And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And be sure to leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. 
We're so grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation. 